0: And I have enjoyed this series. Love the feedback we got from last week's message. I, I can always tell when a message convicts people or it begins to speak to people. So this week all my messages from everyone as they were gossiping was, hey, not trying to gossip, but, hey, I, I, I don't know if this is gossip, but, well, if you have to say you don't know, let me go ahead and tell you something. It is. It is enjoyed the series, Zip It, talking about what comes out of our mouth. It's always funny. There's times that I feel like, man, I'm doing this teaching series for me. I need to hear it, so I'm going to teach it. There's other times that I do teaching series, and I say, man, I'm really good in that area, but I feel like our congregation, the church, our community needs to hear it. This was one of those series. I felt like our church needed to hear it, yet as I've taught it, I've realized I needed to hear it. I've never been in a position, as I have recently, where I've just had to remind myself, zip it. I don't have to respond to everything that I see. I don't have to respond to the actions of everyone else. There's things that I have wanted to respond to over and over and over, especially what I consider to be such hypocrisy in our society today. When I hear people give the reasons they can't come to church yet, they're out everywhere else in every restaurant and every concert and every venue and everywhere, but but they can't come to, oh, did I say that? I feel like I should respond. But I don't. Because I've been listening to what I've been preaching and talking about just zipping it up. And that your opinion doesn't always need to be shared. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about complaining. We talked last week about gossip. And today, I want to talk about the subject of criticism. I've talked about criticism many times in this church, but I have always talked about criticism in the context of how do we respond to criticism and never from the context of us being the one who is critical. I've now been preaching for 23 years, or 24 years. I'm 44 years old. I preached my first sermon when I was 20 years old um, at a little church called Oak Grove Baptist Church. I think every town in the South has an Oak Grove Baptist Church. Oak Grove Baptist Church that I preached in was in Hushton, Georgia little old country church, and I felt God had called me to preach. And the preacher said, you ought to come preach at our church. And the problem was no one had ever talked to me about putting a sermon together. I had no idea how to put a sermon together. I had no idea really what you were supposed to accomplish in putting a sermon together. I thought you just got to get up there and yell at people, and it sounded like a great time, and I was all in. And then the preacher said, he goes, you have 45 minutes to preach. And I remember putting my sermon together. I remember what my first sermon was about. It was about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace. And I would have told you that I had enough notes to go for about two hours. I got up in front of about 37 people, not one of them under the age of 60. No offense to anybody over 60. And I began to preach. And eight minutes later, I had preached every single solitary thing I knew in the Bible. I was done you're thinking wow can we not go back to those days I mean I preached Jesus I preached Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego I preached David and Goliath I really preached everything I knew and I preached nothing what I remember about the sermon is every time I really didn't know what to say I channeled my inner Ric Flair and would just go woo And the people would just look at me like I was crazy. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had that feeling of being on an island all by yourself and everyone is staring at you. But that was the feeling that I had that day. It was horrible. I walk off the stage. This older lady comes up to me. And have you ever noticed, especially this, and I'm not trying to pick on men and women. This definitely seems like a, a woman thing. The older women get the more they just don't care what they say. Like, I remember my grandmother. remember this, Christine, my granny. We're all over there one day, and my daughter, my beautiful daughter. And I don't say this because she's my daughter. My 20-year-old daughter could be a model. She's beautiful. And I remember sitting around, and out of the clear blue, my grandmother looks at her and says, God, you're so pretty. You are such an ugly baby. And we're just sitting there, and she might have been an ugly baby. I don't know. I mean, but, man, who says that? Grannies, man, they can just get away with whatever they want to say. And this old lady walked up to me and she said, Son, thought she was fixing to encourage me and tell me how I spoke to her. God had used me and I was anointed. She said, You ain't no Ric Flair. And she said, You sure ain't no preacher. I hope you can... I, can, I remember word for word what she said. She said, I hope... You can do something in life better than preaching. And being a wrestler sure ain't it. Oh, how ironic if she knew that today. Fast forward. I go to Bible college. In Bible college, you have to take a preaching class, Biblical Preaching 101. Real high-tech name there. You have to get up in front of the class and you have to preach a sermon in front of everyone. I remember getting up in front of the class, preaching my sermon... And getting an F in Biblical Preaching 101. I apparently did such a phenomenal job in Biblical Preaching 101 that the professor met with me after the class, after he gave out the grades, and says, are you sure you're called to be a preacher? Criticism. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about the subject of criticism. Criticism. Now, now, when I talk about criticism, I, I'm not talking about constructive feedback that we give because we care about somebody. There's times we need that. You know my stance on that. I, I have a criteria who can give me criticism. Do they know me? If you don't know me, I, mean, I don't want to hear your opinion. you got to know me. Do they love me? You've got to love me. It's not enough just to know me. i, I got to know that you love me. And that you want my best before I accept criticism from you. And all in the same context, it's not just enough to love me. Do you believe in what I'm trying to accomplish? Because if you don't believe in what I'm trying to accomplish, your criticism isn't going to get very far. So you've got to know me, you've got to love me, you got to believe in what I'm trying to do. So I'm not talking about that type of criticism. Today what I'm talking about when I talk about critical nature or critical speech is that nitpicking that unkind, that uninformed, cruel criticism that so often goes on, especially in the day and time we live in. It's the problem of criticism. Some of you right now are thinking, man, this is going to be a good sermon and my spouse needs to hear this. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm going to afford the podcast ...of this sermon to a co-worker. My boss needs to hear this sermon. Man, I'm so glad I came today. I want to remind you, the message is called Zip It, not Zip Them. Criticism is one of those things that we see so well in others, but we're blind to it in our own lives. It's really difficult to see a critical spirit, if you will, when you're looking in the mirror... Because we hate when other people criticize us. And therefore, we could never imagine that we would be critical in doing that to other people. We don't often realize that we're being critical because oftentimes we feel justified in criticizing. Because let's just be honest. If they weren't so weird, if they weren't just so stupid... If they didn't just spend their money in such an unwise way, then we wouldn't criticize them. We feel justified in our criticism. Because let's just be honest, after all, our life is shambles, but we know what's best for everybody else. So we justify our criticism. God has a wonderful plan for your life and so do I. Let me give it to you. I'm just trying to help them. I can see what they can't see sometimes. Such a critical spirit. I don't have kids, but I'm going to show you how to raise your kids. I just filed for bankruptcy. Bankruptcy but I'm going to show you how to manage your finances. I can't stay clean, but I know the steps. I'm going to help you get clean. We don't even realize we're being critical. It's so easy to spot everything in everybody else's lives, but again, we justify it. We hate when people criticize us, yet we do it to so many people. That's a little bit quiet today, and maybe I'm the only one who deals with this problem. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach to myself, and maybe you'll get something out of it. Some of you aren't going to get anything out of it because you can't stand criticism. And you're going to think I'm being critical today to you about criticism. (laughs) So it'll be quiet because you don't have those issues. Or maybe it's quiet because it just sits too close to home. I want to show you a very popular verse. Matter of fact, probably one of the most popular verses in all the Bible. Even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you're not a churchgoer, even if you don't believe there is a God, chances are you've heard this verse. The problem is so many people preach this verse, and they don't go to the very next verse because this verse is so powerful. You can do an entire series on this verse that we never make it to the next verse. Here's what Galatians says. It says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. That's a powerful verse. When God says, if you want to follow me, here's the one thing you need to do, boom, you can do a whole series on that. I could preach on this for a year. Matter of fact, next month I am. I figure as we go into the right before the election, we should probably preach on love. I know none of us struggle with that here at Action Church because we're so perfect, but maybe those watching online will need it. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our next series is going to be called Shut Up and Love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you have ever heard that verse? Love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard that principle. But very few of us have read the next verse. If... You bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. He's saying you need to love each other. He's saying, but if you don't, you go after attacking, you go after being critical, you go after devouring, you go after being negative. What you will end up doing is you literally end up destroying each other. There's power in that verse. Leave that up. I don't know if it's Joe or Xander back there. Leave that up for a minute. The whole law can be summed up in one thing. Love your neighbor. Then he comes back in the next verse and says, and here's the consequences if you don't love. For every action, there's a what? Reaction. For every action, there's a consequence. If you don't love, you will bite and devour each other. Watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. We know the love part, but we don't know the consequences of not loving. If you're always cutting into people, you're destroying those people. If your words are constantly critical, you're destroying those people. You're always cutting into those people. If you're one of those people who's just always harsh with your words, not only are you destroying them... You're destroying yourself because you're killing the relationship with them, and we were made for relationships. Man, critical words are ruining some of your marriages. All you do is criticize, 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 criticize your spouse. And then you wonder why your spouse wants no intimacy with you. And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy. Some of you are ruining your relationship with your children. Because all you are is critical. And you wonder why your kids want nothing to do with you. You wonder why your teenage daughters are running off to every boy who gives them attention and affirms them. Because they're not affirming them. Hello? Some of you are ruining your opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Because you've turned people off so much with your critical spirit that people are like, If that's what Jesus is about, I want nothing to do with it. You're destroying each other. By being critical. We are a critical society. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 12 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Ah, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. The first part of that verse is kind of like that grandmother I was telling you about. You know how Granny just has that ability to say something to you, and she's trying to do it in her sweet way, but it just pierces? Like, how about this? You see Granny, and you ain't seen her in a while. Hey, honey, is your phone broke? No, ma'am, it's not. Oh, I wouldn't know because you don't call me anymore. "Oh." Oh, wow. It does work both ways. But the Bible says every man must give an account for himself. I'm responsible for my actions, not granny's actions. Words of the reckless pierce like swords. Those people who just just make those cutting remarks. How about when that friend sends you that picture of you and them from two years ago because they've gained a bunch of weight? And they're like, remember when we used to be so skinny? And you're thinking, B word. I go to the gym every day. Just cutting remarks. You know what I mean? Remember, remember when you used to do so-and-so? Just cutting remarks. That's, the words of the reckless like sword they just kind of cut you. You know? But the words of the wise, they bring healing. There's power in the tongue. There's power in the words that come out of our mouth. We can literally tear somebody down with our words, and we can literally build somebody up with our words. And did you know you can build somebody up with even words of criticism? It's not always a negative connotation. The problem is, we don't know how to criticize biblically, we tear down. Instead of building up. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Any. Someone asked me, do you think everybody sins? Yeah. It says any. I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't play one on television. But that word any, guess what it means? Any. Do not... I've had unwholesome things come out of my mouth today. First post I see on Facebook today. I'm like, oh, man. should have said that. Maybe they're still asleep. Let me delete it. They weren't asleep. They saw it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Sometimes they need things that are, they're doing wrong, you to tell them that where they can improve. That's okay. That it may benefit those who listen. That's the problem. If we're to be honest, we don't criticize to benefit those who listen. We criticize to make ourselves feel superior. Hello? We criticize to make it sound like we have our stuff together. Many times we criticize the area that we struggle in the most... Because it makes us feel better to know, man, other people are struggling too. I must not be that crazy. We try to justify our struggles. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, But only what is helpful for building others up according, according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. What God's saying here, he's saying, don't let unhelpful, unwholesome, impure words come out of your mouth. I'm going to give you an example. He's here today. I love my father-in-law. He irritated the hell out of me about three months ago at an event I did. I'm in the middle of an event. He didn't like the music at the event. So after he tells me about the 17th time that day he doesn't like the music, I look and say, what am I supposed to do about it? Nothing I can do about it. There was nothing helpful for what he was saying that day. So guess what he did the next day? He realized it. He called me and said, no, music wasn't that bad yesterday. That's his way of apologizing. That's why I love him. Just maybe next time. Guess what? He was offering help. Guess what? He was right. The music was horrible. Horrible. But in that moment, there wasn't much I could do about it. But he's also right. The next day when he came along and gave me words that said, hey, maybe next time, bam, bam. He's put on a lot of events in his life. That have drawn lots of good crowds. It was beneficial. Sometimes you've got to learn to read the room. Know when to say the right things. He said nothing different the second day than he did the first day. Except the second day I was willing to receive it because I wasn't in the middle of it at that moment. You see what I'm saying? You've got to know when to give those things. You've got to know when to build up. When to say what needs to be said? Huh. Words have power. Sometimes we come along and we make cutting remarks. Bible says, but the words of the wise bring healing. Guess what? When I preached my first sermon and I walked off the stage, can I tell you what I knew that I sucked? I didn't need anybody to tell me that it was bad. I am not stupid. I saw the looks on the people's faces. I knew what I wanted to accomplish, and I know that I did not accomplish it. I walked off the stage, everybody left, I'm sitting there with my pastor, and he looks at me, talking about the, the, the powerful words, bring healing, uplifting words. He said, well, you want to hear some good news? I said, yes, sir. He said, it can only go up from here. I said, yeah, yes, sir. He said, can I let you in a little secret? I said, yes, sir. He goes, first sermon I preached, I was in a nursing home. He goes, I only made it three minutes, and you went a full eight. He said, man, he said, you, you, you were so excited. You were talking so fast, no one could really understand. He, go- he goes, but that's just passion. He goes, you're going to learn to harness that passion one day. And that passion's going to carry you a long way. And then he went back and he said, remember when you said XYZ? I said, yes sir. He goes, man, I've been preaching for 30 something years and I've never thought about that verse like what you said. He goes, that shows me you've been studying. And it shows me that you took this serious. He never once looked at me and said, man, you did a great job. Man, you're a natural. Man, there's nothing you can improve on. Take over the church right now. But he uplifted me with his words. Instead of me leaving there dejected by the old lady who told me I was no Ric Flair, I left there feeling good, knowing that I can improve some things, that I could get better at what I was doing. He affirmed what I already knew. But instead of me already knowing, man, I really dropped some balls today, he showed me in a creative, critical critical way how to make those improvements. There's power in our words. He could have tore me down. He could, because guess what? He was an old Baptist preacher. He wasn't going to let us out after eight minutes. So he got there and preached for 45 after I was done. He didn't get up there and say, man, I wasn't even prepared to preach, and I thought I was getting a night off, but I didn't because you stuck so bad. He didn't say, hey, you you made sister so-and-so angry, now i got to go deal with her. No, he uplifted. He got his points across. But his words brought life to me instead of tearing me down. There's power in our words. You have no idea the power... Let me back that up. Yes, you do. Because it's happened to you. We all know the power that can come from one word of encouragement. Even when you're a hard shell person like me, says, I don't need people, I'm always, I don't need people to tell me my events are good, I just do it. No, when people tell me they're good, no matter how hard I want to be, man, they make you feel good. Whereas encouraging words that come along. You have no idea how God can use you to breathe and to pour life into somebody. That lady in my life at that moment, I'm not saying she was in every moment, but in that moment she was a life taker for me. My pastor in that moment was a life giver to me. The Bible says our words have the power of life and they have the power of death. And that's what it means. You can literally take the life out of someone. You can take the dejection out of someone. Or you can pump life into them. It is not a matter of just blowing smoke up their butt. It's not a matter of lying to them. It's not a matter of not telling them they can improve on things. It's in the way that we go about doing it. I was just trying to help. But you didn't. You were an a-hole. You were a jerk. You hit them up at the wrong time. I've got this new expression. It's it's an old expression, but someone said this to me a couple of months ago, and it just kind of, they said, man, I would encourage you to learn to read the room. I said, what do you mean? They said, everything you said was right. It wasn't the time. It wasn't the place. Read the room because it wasn't the time and wasn't place everything you said that was the truth literally fell on deaf ears and they'll never improve on it now they said if you'd have waited till our Tuesday meeting when everybody had calmed down from what happened people would have been more receptive to hear it we need to learn to read the room We're to keep each other accountable. We need to let each other know we're doing things right. And we need to let each other know we're doing things wrong. The only way we're going to get better is for someone to come along and tell us how we can improve. Someone who's been there, done that, got the t-shirt to prove it. But it's an all in how we go about it. See, there's two things you can be when it comes to feedback to people. The first is you can be a fault finder. You can be a fault finder. And, and, And to be honest with you, this is what most people are. Because of our sin nature, we're all born sinners, newsflash for you. Look to the person to your right and tell them they're a sinner. Now, let the person to your left tell them they're a sinner. Uh-huh. Now, when you go home day and look in the mirror, tell yourself, I'm a sinner. A fault finder. Most of us, because of our sin nature, we tend to look at what's wrong before we look at what's Right? I'll give you an example. I'm even that way when it comes to criticism For me. At our last show we had here, our wrestling show, we had a very famous wrestler show up and he was backstage the whole time. He watched the entire show from behind that curtain. So within the end of the night, I went to him. I said, man, I'd love any feedback. I said, but I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to hear any positive feedback. I want you to tell me everything that we can do to improve. Tell me everything we did wrong. He said, well, I've been taking notes. I said, man, I appreciate that. He said, But I'm not going to just tell you what you've been doing wrong. I want you to hear everything you're doing right. And guess what? Even though I asked for it, just the negative, he immediately began to pour life into me with the positive. When he poured life into me with the positive, I found myself a whole lot less defensive with the negative. I didn't agree with all the negative. There were some situations he was negative on, but he didn't know the context of everything. But I didn't feel the need to justify myself because he had poured the positive in. I just said, yes, sir, and wrote them down. You can be a fault finder, and so many of us are fault finders because, man, it's so easy to point everything. I've said this before. I don't know anything about construction. I don't know how to build anything. I don't know how to paint anything. I don't want to know how to do anything like that. I think that people that do that are amazing and have this incredible skill, and why would I rob them of being able to use their talents by me doing it? That's awesome. But I can tear some stuff up. I couldn't build that wall back there, but I could take that wall down. Now, maybe not the proper way, but I can get it down. Give me a sledgehammer. Anybody can tear down. And so many become become fault finders. It, especially when we're around somebody all the time. We get to the point in our life where all we notice is the things that drive them crazy. Drive us crazy about them. We don't like the way they walk. I dated a girl one time and she literally told me, I just don't like the way you chew. What? And she must have been right because Christine has made several comments before about how me and Luke chew. I must be a very annoying chewer. Christine must love me enough to overlook my chewing deficiency. But this girl wasn't willing to do that. We get to the point where it's just like, man, I don't even like the way you breathe. (laughs) So we've had that conversation, it's that uncomfortable. You know, you you go to work and that one person just walks in and you just don't like anything about them. Or they don't like anything about you. You're like, you're "You're such a bad place. You don't like how they they run a meeting. You don't like how they respond to a text. I caught myself recently with that with someone. They literally sent me a one-word answer. I asked them a question. They said yes. And I read the yes with an attitude. I read the yes with disdain. I read the yes. I, w- I was literally ready to get my same Like, What's your problem? And all they did was answer my question. They were in a meeting at the time. They took time out of their day to s- answer my text, even though they were in a meeting. And I'm reading it w- with an attitude. <laughs> Man, you don't like the way someone talks. It's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. We just love to complain. Ah, can't believe that picture so-and-so posted on Instagram. Of course, she had to use that filter because if she had posted the real picture of herself. Yeah, we're critical. We're fault finders. Man. She says she loves Jesus. But did you hear about blah, blah, blah? I mean, mean, I'm not judging, but that picture she posted the other day, I'd never. Well, guess what? It ain't your Instagram. We love to be critical. I actually got caught up in this a couple of days ago. Somebody on my timeline, what do you call it? What's the person who delivers babies in people's homes? A stork? Not a stork. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? A midwife. Midwife. I guess this lady was crazy and had a baby in her house. Anyway, so the midwife, I can't, I guess the midwife made a post or something about booking up for, I, I don't know. I don't know what midwives do. I guess they book up for stuff. And it said, uh, and the girl, the girl who had the baby shared it, which is weird. I don't even know this girl well. It just caught my attention. And it said, um, call us before W-E-R-E, we're full, instead of we are full. And so I responded. I said, well, before they deliver a baby, they didn't learn proper grammar. Just being critical. I don't know this lady. On her business page, I said this. Why? Because in my mind, I was being funny and I get furious when people post stuff on my business stuff and the lady came back, the midwife lady because it was under her business name, I can't remember XYZ midwife, I don't know, baby delivery stork people, I don't know, whatever her Facebook page was and she said, or we just don't care about our grammar, we spend all our time learning the best way to deliver babies and I was like, oh, yeah, that's good that's good, because I could probably write it in proper grammar but I couldn't deliver the baby you know what I mean? I was just being critical, finding fault. Finding fault, first of all, on someone's page that I don't even really know, just because I'm friends with them on Facebook, posting a business that I have no business even knowing anything about. Listen, I, I, I don't want to see a baby come out. I don't know anything about it. Like I'm getting sick in my stomach right now. Oh. Just being critical, finding fault. Man. I mean, if they're going to raise their kids like that, they might as well go ahead and put them in prison right now. We're just fault finders, man. Mm. They need to get that Action Church sticker off their car the way they're driving. Literally had a voicemail one time. Hey, just want you to know someone, one of your church stickers flicked me off in traffic. Is that the kind of church you have? I want to be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wasn't my wife's car? Not just kidding. We're just fault finders. You know the problem with being a fault finder is they're a lot like the Pharisees. You know who the Pharisees were? The Pharisees were these religious people in the New Testament who had all these rules and regulations and they looked down upon everyone who didn't follow every rule and regulation that they had. We're like the Pharisees. Actually, actually, let's take it up another notch. You're not like the Pharisees. Fault finders are really like the devil. The Bible says this about the devil. The Bible says he's a deceiver. He's a devourer. He's the prince of darkness. He's the father of lies. But it also calls him the accuser of the brethren. The devil's out finding faults in all of us. He's finding faults in you, reminding you all the time, trying to get you to realize, man, because you did X, Y, and Z, you're not good enough for God. So here we are finding fault, we're acting like a Pharisee, or worship, we're acting like the devil. And we're just fault finding. And there's so many reasons we find fault all the time. Uh, a lot of times it's just that we're full of pride. We think we know what's best. We think we know everything, though our life is shambles. We think we know what's best for everyone else. We, we, we find fault in everybody because, secondly, because we're just insecure. And therefore we criticize others to make ourselves feel better about our insecurity. Many times we criticize and find fault simply because of this. and so Don't miss this. We just don't understand the circumstances. So we criticize from a distance something we don't know about. We've been criticized a lot lately since we started meeting again. But you know what's funny? It's always from a distance. It's from people that don't know the thought process that goes into what we do. That don't know the, the the struggle and how unlikely we do take the situation that's going on in our country. We just criticize. I, I I just don't know how she stays with him. Well, guess what? We think the same thing about your relationship, to be honest. Me and Christine say that all the time. I don't know. Well, they probably think the same thing about us. We don't know all the details. We don't know all the circumstances. You don't know the story behind the story behind the story that's actually called the truth. And at the end of the day, it's none of your business. So we criticize because we don't understand. (laughs) It's kind of like before you had kids. Man, before kids, I knew more about parenting than anybody in the world. At that stage in my life of the people that we hung out with, I was the last to have kids. So I would go off with people and they would have their kids, and their kids would be being kids. And I'd be like, I don't know, no, my kids won't act like that. You know, if you did this to your kid. Then I had kids. And I realized, man, I don't know anything about raising kids. Then I had four kids and thought I knew a little something about having kids. And then she brings home a Charlie. And for two years, I realized I know nothing about having kids. As that kid set up the corner office in our house and became the CEO and ran the ship. (laughs) But when I didn't have kids, I knew everything. A lot of times we just don't understand. Let me ask you. Have you ever met a critical person? How many of you say, man, I know someone critical? Someone, I, know, I, I know a fault finder. Raise your hand, don't be shy, don't lie, don't point to your spouse. Raise your hand. I know a, I know a critical person. Now, how many of you have ever seen that critical person and thought to yourself, man, I want to be just like them? We can be a fault finder. The Bible says this in Proverbs 21. Don't put that. Oh, put it down. Pull it down. Hurry. Pull it down. Pull the verse down. I got to give a preface to the verse. The preface is this. I didn't write the book. I'm not responsible for what goes up on the screen. I am responsible for what goes up on the screen, but it's the word of God, okay? The precursor is this. I'm not picking on wives. Because it could apply to men too. It just happens to say what it says. Now put it up. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. That's not what it says. I even broke it down in the original language this week into the Greek. And it said wife. If your Bible says spouse and it was a spineless Bible translator who didn't follow the original language. Now, if I had the Gary Lamb version of the Bible and I could write a verse, I would follow it up and say, better to live in a desert also without a Jack A. husband or something like that, okay? So I get it. It's not about wives. What it's saying is, though, so it's better to live alone away from everyone than be around someone who's just quarrelsome and in nags all the time. Just a critical person. I don't think she listens to these, but if she does, she knows how I feel about it. My mother is the most negative human being on the place planet Earth. So negative. So critical. That literally, I very much have very little to do with her. I'd rather live in a desert than get on the phone with her. The other day was Luke's birthday. She sent Luke something for her birthday. Christine said, you're going to have Luke call your mom." I said, boom, yeah, call, call, call your nana. Luke gets off the phone. He hands me the phone. I didn't even see she was just like, click. Christine's like, you didn't talk to your mom?" No. I don't want to hear about it. I didn't even tell Christine this. Within 10 minutes, I get a text. I mailed that package three weeks ago. He just now got it. I said, I guess so. He just now opened it. That's insane. Okay. I respond, okay. I'm going to call the post office. Call the post office for what? I don't even think it has a tracking number on it. Like, just negative. Hey, or maybe he's only at my house every other week, and so maybe maybe it came 10 days ago. I don't know. I don't care. Quit texting me. It's negative and critical. Always finding fault in something. Nobody wants to be that person. Nobody wants to be a fault finder. So what we can be is we can be a fault finder or we can be a hope dealer. Let me clarify that because apparently here lately my dialect has become more southern and you keep getting confused about words I say. I didn't say dope dealer. I said, we need to be a hope dealer. The Bible says this in Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, Paul was the chief hope dealer in the Bible. Locked away in prison, beaten for his fate. And he's just always slinging encouragement, always slinging positivity. Man, any time he'd speak, anytime time he'd write, you never see Paul tearing people down. He's always building them up. He never let unwholesome talk come out of mouth. It was always words of encouragement and uplifting. He didn't say, man, I know you guys are going through some struggles. I know you guys. He's in the one in prison and talking about them going through hard times. But he's like, let me remind you how good God is. He was a hope dealer in every way. The Pharisees were fault finders. The devil's a fault finder. Jesus was a hope dealer. I love the different metaphors of Jesus. The Bible says he's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the good shepherd. He's the door. He's the living vine. He's the gate. The king of kings. The Lord of the Lord. He's the alpha and omega. But 1 Timothy calls him this. Calls him our hope. Titus 2 calls him our hope. Blessed hope. First Peter calls him the living hope. Whenever someone would sin, the Pharisees would come along and find fault in them. Jesus would come along. He never, don't miss this, he never endorsed their sin. He never approved of their sin. But instead of pointing out their sin, he pointed out hope to them. He pointed out God to them. The Pharisees pointed out everything that was wrong. And Jesus would kneel down in the sand and write words of encouragement for them. You know what I found out about when normally when I'm doing something wrong You coming along and pointing it out in a negative connotation does nothing but make me get defensive. But when you come along and you put your arm around me and remind me that God loves me and there's a better way, and I don't have to live like that, you deliver hope to me. Because the problem with our sin is, is once we get into our sin, our sin consumes us and we feel like there's no what? No hope. We've blown it. We've screwed up. I've done it now. I'm never going to get to see my kids again. I messed up. Someone comes along and reminds me, man, you screwed up. Never going to see your kids again. Someone comes along and says, man, you messed up. Let's get this fixed. You've got a long road back, but you can do it. I'm going to walk with you through it. I'm not going to be accountable to you. I'm going to be accountable for you. Meaning meaning when you go in there and you've messed up, man, we're getting out of this thing together. I told you when I made the worst decision of my life and lost everything, my pastor, my mentor, the man I idolized called me. And the first words out of his mouth, he said, Man, you're done. You'll never be used again. I was already in my sin I was already miserable I literally just sank out of control after that it's why anytime we're kind of the church where pastors come when they've fallen I always look at them the first thing and I say man just remember God is not done with you if you're still breathing there's hope I was talking to someone the other day and he's got cancer he's got about six months to live his children, because of his addiction. Now, this man has been clean for nine years now. Nine years. But because his addiction that controlled his life for 30 years, his children will have nothing to do with him. He's never seen, he had never seen his grandchildren or anything. He said, man, I just want to see them. That's all I want. It's been nine years. And I said, man, we're just going to pray about that. You're not done here. Your last breath hasn't been taken. We still got this. Just deliver hope. I got to be honest with you. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, they're holding on for nine years. I don't know. He could die at any moment. I don't know. But a friend of a friend of a cousin, brother, sister's best friend's coworkers, workers boss's niece saw the post on Facebook that he had, thing, and got in touch with the child all the way in Washington. She got on a plane to brought all the grandkids here to see her dad. I could have looked at him and said, yeah, you might not, man. You screwed up all those years. I said, I gave him hope. Even when I didn't know if it was possible, we need hope dealers, not fault finders. Pharisees come along and point out the woman who's had all the husbands and is living with another man. and They start pointing out her faults. Jesus comes along and offers her hope, gets down and begins to write in the sand Theologians say a lot of times they believe that he was writing the Pharisees' sins down in the sand. He offered her hope. They all turned around and walked away. Jesus looked at her and said, where's your accusers? She said, they're not here. He said, well, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Jesus offered hope to people. You have no idea when you criticize your child what it does to their self-esteem. You have no idea when all you do is ride your spouse. Now, I'm not saying you overlook, man. They're false. It's not what I'm saying. You need to be able to have a relationship where there's communication. But it goes back to how you go about doing it. You're destroying that intimacy. You have no idea how foolish you look when all you do is criticize, criticize, and criticize. People begin to avoid you. I've got this one person at my wrestling show. I go out of my way the entire show to avoid them. Because I know every month they're going to corner me and tell me everything they don't like about the show, yet they come every month. But they drain me. How horrible in my own building, in my own show, I've got to go out of my way to avoid people. But that's what people begin to do when all you are is critical. And then here's the other problem. When all you are is critical, when you have a valid concern, they ignore it because they're like, there you are being critical again. It's like the boy who cried wolf. You can be a fault finder. It's easy to find fault. Or you can be a hope dealer. You can begin to see the good in people the good in what's going on. You can communicate in such a way that they can improve and they can get better, but it uplifts them. Hmm. I'm passionate about this thing because i got to be honest with you. I am the king of critical. The king of it. I am the king of nitpicking. I used to chalk it up and explain it away as I'm just a perfectionist. That sign's an inch off. It's stupid. Who was was lazy? I used to rip apart everything. And not even me, I just want to see people with the best. Boy, and Christine set that straight quick. And I have to work now at pointing out the positive. But I can still revert back to the fault finding. How many of you ever had a teenage girl? I wasn't really around. I was the every other weekend dad for my oldest girl. My 13-year-old girl, man, I have her all the time. Teenage girls, man, woo! Woo! Even good teenage girls. We have a good one. Woo! Drama. Bad. And then, like, I don't... Like, it's weird because I don't care about the boy so much. I do care about the boy, but I don't care about his stupid decisions because I'm like, he's just a boy. He'll bounce back. But like the girl, like, like, like a little boy's mean and blah, 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 and then you know, like, he's my boyfriend. What do you mean he's your boyfriend? I thought like three weeks ago we hated this boy. Like, I'm ready to kill him. Who's coming over to our house? No, he's not coming. She's not coming over to our house. We hate her. No. Uh-uh. Things like you got to let them figure it out. No, let the boy figure it out. Boys don't break, girls do. But I catch myself real easily, I can get into fault finding instead of hope dealing. Hey, Nancy, I know you've been gone since July. Don't we, we go this way behind the curtain discreetly? All right, I love you. She says I'm always mean to her. I ain't got to be mean to her since like July. I got like lots of making up to do. Man, I'm so glad they're back. Love them. Thank God good. Hey, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Fault finding or hope dealing. Choice is yours. You're going to get a whole lot more flies with honey. Bees with honey? Bees with honey. Get a lot more flies with Crap. we made the decision let's pray